rest of us, we will be... Last week being revival, uh, we weren't there, but this week we'll finish up Lesson 8. If you have that, pull it out. If you need a lesson, Brother, T Brother Steve's in the back, ready to pass those out. If you lift your hand, he'd be glad to get you a lesson. Looks like everyone's all ready to go on that. Uh, lesson 8 will be in Romans chapter 14. So if you would, find your place. Romans 14, and we will begin our reading there. Romans chapter number 14. Whenever you find your place, if you wouldn't mind to stand, Romans chapter 14. There say amen. Romans chapter 14. Still hear some pages. Hmm. Give me a We'll start reading there in verse number 16. <clears throat> Paul says this, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself, and that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we're focusing uh, this morning on this truth, on this uh, idea. Edify one another. We ought, we ought to, in our heart's desire, ought to be to build each other up, right? And, and not to use our liberty uh, for an occasion to to push somebody down, but instead our, our desire as we, as we deal with our church family is to help each other. And yes, we, we need to be focused on our spiritual growth, amen, and no one can make you grow spiritually, but uh, we also need to not forsake or not neglect the spiritual growth of one another, and, and we are a big part of that. God's plan is His Word, and, and God's, God is enough all by Himself to help us, but part of His plan is to put us in a church family where we can help uh, and build up one another. We need that. We have enough going against us. Our flesh is so weak. We need one another. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like here in this passage. God, thank you so much. God, we come before you this morning just thankful that we get to be in your house. We're thankful we get to serve you. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for these kids that came, and, and Lord, as they stood before and sang for your glory, we're thankful that we get to have a touch in each of their life. And I pray that you be with them even now, Lord, as they're being taught from your word, that you would give the teachers the words to say, help the kids to have a heart that's ready to listen and obey and follow you. But God, we pray that you would do a mighty work even here during the Sunday school hour. Bless your word. Pray that you help us look to learn uh, what you'd have us to do this morning and be willing to follow. 
for loving Christ in my prayer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. So edification. We're, we'll just do a quick review and, and get back to where we are there in point number three. But edification is something that everyone needs. All of us need edification. So what does that mean? It means to build up. It means to build up. Building up or encouraging somebody. And so, uh, like I was saying just a second ago, we have enough in our world that is against our spiritual walk. Amen? God calls us to walk after Him. God calls us to live a life that's glorifying to Him. And, and um, God will empower us. We, we learned even through revival that God's given us His Holy Spirit. God's given us His Word. Uh, but there's also a lot that goes against our, our uh, ability to follow God. A lot, who, a lot that's pulling away. A lot that is attempting to tear down our walk with God. Our flesh all by itself is a mighty force, that, that there's a part of us, there's a, there's a tendency within every man that says, I don't, I don't want to do what God wants me to do, right? And we don't even need necessarily a good reason, right? There's just, if God said it, if God said it, then there is a part of us that naturally does not want to do that. Why? Well, because of the fall, right? When Adam and Eve came, when Adam and Eve sinned, what, what did they do? Well, what they did was this, is they decided... I want to live this life independent of God. Isn't that what Satan uh, tempted them with? Isn't that what Satan's downfall was from the beginning? God created Satan as Lucifer, the angel of light, and, and really the most powerful of all the angels, as far as we can tell, the most responsibility in heaven, leading the worship of God. This was Lucifer, the most powerful of the angels, but he wasn't satisfied with that, and he wanted to be God himself, and he didn't want to just be more powerful than God. He didn't want to just, you know, as far as ability goes. Here's what he wanted. He wanted to be God. He wanted to live under, not underneath the authority, outside of the authority of God. He wanted to live independently of God. That's, that's what Satan wanted in his pride. He thought he knew better. He thought he could handle his angel life better than God could. And he said, I will be like him. I will do what I want to do. I will live independently of God. And that's exactly how God, how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, right? When, when he showed Adam and Eve the fruit, and he said, if you eat this fruit, what did he say would happen? Well, you will be like him, right? And he said, here's why God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit, because he wants, he wants for you to be under his rule. And he, God knows, Satan said, God knows if you eat of this, you'll be just like him, and by implication, you won't have to live under his authority anymore. You can do what you want to do, Adam and Eve. And, 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 and they liked that. And, and Eve saw the fruit, that it would make one wise. She, thought, she saw that it was good to eat. But ultimately, what Eve saw was a life lived outside of God's control. And she wanted it. And Satan made it look good, didn't he? It's the purple pear, right, that we've talked about. And Satan made it look good. It's not good. There's nothing good about it. Living life outside of God's will, living life outside of God's control is a mess. And you just look at our world and you know it's a mess. But, but, but Satan is good at making that life look good. And so they did it. They ate of that fruit. And, they, and sin came upon all men and sin passed upon all men. And we were all born fallen from grace, fallen from a relationship with God, and we're all born with a flesh that is sinful. A flesh that is sinful. A flesh that says, I want to do what I want to do, 
And not, not just, I want to do what I want to do, but specifically, I don't want to do what God wants. Right? It's, it's, it's the sin nature. It's the fallen condition of man. And so every time God gives a command, there's a part of us that says, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. That's our flesh. And then obviously we have Satan himself saying, oh, but you don't need to. Because life lived outside of God is better. It's like the alcohol commercials, right? And you see these alcohol commercials and they're funny and, and they're, everyone's having a good time. But what they don't show you is the destruction it brings, right? They don't show you the, the, the families that suffer from an alcoholic home. They don't show you the car accidents. They don't show you the life of emptiness and misery that comes with that. They only show you what the potential good that can come out of this. And this is how Satan operates. He's, he's slick. He's sly. He doesn't come to you and say, hey, let's do something evil today and see if we can wreck your life today. That's not how he approaches it. He says, man, I know what God says, but it's so much better if you just do what you want. And that's how he operates. I know that, that, you're supposed, that God says to, to love your enemies, but man, did, what, did, you, did he see what happened to you? And what your enemy did? Don't you think it'd be better if you got all bitter and angry and yelled at them and tore down their character? Right? And I know that God says to be in church, but I mean, do we need that much church? I mean, come on. I think one service is enough, and we've got what we need. That's not true. We need more, not less. Right? We need God's help, but Satan does that, and he'll and he'll even he'll even put in things that are other other things. But you, I know you're not going to church, but you can do this. That's good, or this. That's good, and and he and he, however he can get in, whatever God says, he's going to say no, not that. Instead, this. That's how he works. And and so what I'm saying is this morning that there's a lot going against us. We have our flesh, we have the devil, and we have the world system, and the world itself is against God, and the way that our society operates. <clears throat> and our society is very blatant and open about it, about being anti-God and anti-His ways, but really society as a whole from the beginning of time has been against God's ways. And so we have enough going against us. We, what we need is some help the other way, right? And we have God, uh, God, uh, Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Word of God. But part of God's plan to help us live the life God's called us to as he has placed us in a church family. That's part of God's plan. Part of his plan is to be around other believers. And part of his plan is for that church body then to be a help, to edify, to build up. And, and we've talked about it before, but there's, we need to serve one another, right? And then if we see someone who needs something, we need to be there for them, right? And pray for one another and love one another. But there's times we also need to uh, uh, admonish one another, and if someone's going down the wrong way, to, to warn them. And we need each other for that. But oftentimes, uh, sadly, not maybe not oftentimes, but at times, the church family has a potential to be another stumbling block. And we don't want that, do we? We don't want to be that in each other's lives. What we want to be, and we want to have a desire for this, is to build each other up. We want to help each other live the life God has us. We want to see the, each other's uh, spiritual life and say, you know, right here, he need, he needs, they need a support right there. And I'll be there to support him, and I'll help him that way. Uh, and, but it's, none of this is going to happen unless we're very intentional about it. If we're not thinking this way, if we're not making decisions that says, I want to be a blessing to my church family. I want to come to church. Listen, I want to come to church not just so that I feel better, although that's good, and you're struggling, church is a place to be, amen? And if, as you're going through hard times, 
you, you need more church, not less. And, and our flesh will tell us, oh, you're struggling, just stay home and deal with it. No, no, it's the opposite. Part of God's plan to help you out of this is to be around your church family. And so that's, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I'm struggling. I'm excited to be at church today. That's good. But we also need to be thinking this way. I want to go to church not just so that I can be helped, but I want to be a help to somebody. And, and when you come to church, you ought to come as a servant that says, I'm going to look around and see who I can edify, who I can encourage, who I can build up. And we need to be thinking that way, and we need to be very intentional about that. And so the problem is, as you do that and as you come and, and want to encourage one another, it, there's going to be differences along the way, aren't there? There's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be differences in uh, age group. There's going to be differences in, in just interests and all of that. And, and those differences that we have, um, they can, they, there's, there's two options with those differences. Those differences can harm a church, and it can cause little clicks around where I'm only going to hang out with the people I kind of like. And then so we have like this group, this click over here, we have this click over here. It can, that can, there's a potential for that. There's always a potential for that. But there's also a potential that those differences can bring harmony, right? Harmony. As you listen to a, a choir song, you know, you, if you listen close, you'll notice that they're not all singing the same note. There's some major differences. And there's some guys over there that are down in the basement. And you hear like, I can't even get down there. It's like rattling, right? And there's other parts of the choir that are way up in the attic. Right? And like, you're going to hurt yourself. If you're a little bit too high, that's a really high note. You're going to get down from the attic, right? And, and so there's this big range of notes, but they all harmonize, right? And the difference is, the difference is in a good song that's arranged well, the differences are good, right? And if everybody sang the same note, there would be no harmony. It would just be the melody. It would just be the same, which is, it sounds fine. It's good. It's not, it's not like it hurts our ears, but there's something special about a harmony, right? Where differences help each other. Where, where the different notes um, harmonize, where they, where they go well together. And really what they're doing is they're edifying each other, right? Each note, uh, standing alone, if you were just going to come up here and sing a harmony no, a, a note, and just everyone sing the alto part, that would not be a good choir song, right? That would be weird. That would be very weird. But so standing alone, it's not so good. But but coupled together, the bass note and the tenor note and the and the alto note and the soprano note, couple all all brought together is something special, right? And all of us have differences um, along the way. But but what we need to do is is use those differences to bring harmony to a church. And we need to handle them well. And all of that happens when we when we're passionate. Number one passion of edification. If you don't have that, number one is passion of edification. Which, I don't have my iPad here. Thank you, Brother Josh. Passion of edification. And so, what that means is this, is we need to decide that we want to edify. It needs to be a passion. It's not something, to edify one another is not something that comes natural. Remember we talked about our flesh? We talked about how we want to do what we want, and really we're all looking out for number one. That's our society's 
slogan, it seems like. That ought, to be, that ought not to be the slogan of a Christian. We're not out just to make our life better. We need to have a passion to edify others, to edify our church family. And as we're doing that, uh, we're, we're, the next thing down here is to live peaceably. To live peaceably. Verse 19 in our passage said this, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. <clears throat> follow after is to run after, to pursue, to seek eagerly. We ought to have a desire, but not just a desire, a passion to be at peace with one another. Now, we could take that too far, can't we? And we'll talk about that even a little bit in our Sunday morning message. But we, we, can't, we can't make peace the number one goal between each other and with the world because then there's a potential for compromise, right? Because doctrine and truth does divide. And if two people disagree on, on what the Bible says, we can't just ignore that. But there's other stuff in our life that separates us that really ought not to separate us. And we need to be eager for peace with one another as, as we have conflicts, and we will have conflicts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that offenses must come, not because necessarily God wants that, but because we're all sinful, right? And if, you're in a, if you are in a church family, you are in a group of people who are sinful and at times selfish, and people will hurt you, right? And when someone does that, when, when, we, when we make a mistake or... Sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes it's very intentional, right? And we hurt one another. And if someone hurts you, well, you need to be searching after peace and eagerly wanting peace. And so when they do that, you're offended. Yeah, you're hurt by it, of course, personally. But, but what we need to do is transcend that and say, what's even worse than what I'm dealing with is this, is me and my brother are at odds, right? And there's no peace between us. Or me and my sister are at odds. <clears throat> and we're and we're at conflict, and and I know what conflict does in a church, and and Satan would love to take those little conflicts and and divide and and separate the flock, right? And get the sheep all separated because that's what wolves love is sheep that are all out there by themselves, away from the shepherd and away from the other sheep. And we need to see conflict with our church family as a big deal. If if there's someone in this church that you're at conflict with that you're angry with or has offended you in some way, whether they meant to do it or they didn't mean to do it, it is a big deal. It needs to be reconciled. We need to follow after peace. And so what do you do? Well, we've, we've mentioned this many times. You need to go to them, right? And you need to explain the fault. Why? Why do you explain the fault? Well, because I'm mad at them. And I want them to be, I want them to feel shame and I want them to feel little. No, that's not it. That's not following after peace. That's just blowing up the conflict bigger than it is. What you want, Jesus says, is you, you can rebuke them, and when they repent, forgive them. That's the model. You rebuke them, you show them their fault. Why? So that they will know that they did wrong. Why? So that now they're in a position that they can repent. And a lot of that has to do with our attitude, right? If you go up to them and it's obvious that you don't want to forgive, that makes it very difficult. But if you go up to them and say something like, you know, I, maybe I'm missing something here, or or maybe I misread this. Uh, I don't want us to be, I don't want us to be at odds. But what you did hurt me, and 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 I want us to be right. If you come in from that perspective, what you're doing is giving them a chance to repent, so that now you can forgive. And that's what we want, right? We want reconciliation. So we need to chase after peace. We need to follow after peace. Uh, we we looked in our notes here. There's four steps to 
following after peace. One is stop living for, for self. We, we can't focus on, on the hurts that we have. We can't focus on, on the things that we want out of this. What we want is, number one, for God to be glorified. And number two, we want a church that's unified and, and serving and, and reaching the lost. And that happens when we're in unity. And so we can't, we can't live for self. The second is we need to realize the gospel is the focus. And, and we said this, but if, if we're fighting each other, it's hard for us to fight the enemy, right? And, and that's, that really is Satan's best tactic. That's his favorite, is to get a church so focused at being mad at each other and fighting one another that they can't fight together and reach the lost. And so whatever this conflict is, I know that they probably hurt you, and I know it stings, and I don't want to make light of that, but I will say this. It's not as important as the gospel, right? And so we, we can't ignore it. We can't pretend it didn't happen. But we do need to try our best to get this reconciled and be at unity. Why? Because we need to strive together in one mind and as a unified body. And the gospel is the focus. Because we have, there's a lot of people in Fall City that, that if they were to die today would not spend eternity in heaven. And we need to, we need to let that light a fire within us, right? And, and whatever we're going through, whatever hurts that we're, and struggles that we're dealing with, we need to deal with them. Why? Well, because it, hurt, it does hurt us, but also we need to be more effective. We, we've got too much work to do to be at each other's throats, right? We can't be bickering and fighting that way. And so the next one is this. Remember that all things will get settled at the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about this, how that, you know, whatever it has happened, God will take care of it in the end. You don't necessarily have to fix everything. You do your part, right? And, and you do what Jesus told you to do. If you're offended, you go to them and you tell them their fault and you have a desire to, to make it right with them. They won't always do that, right? But what, what you can rest in is this, is that in the end, God will take care of it. They'll answer to God. You'll answer to God. You just do what God's called you to do. If you've offended somebody, you need to go to them. And you need to tell them that you're sorry about that and ask for forgiveness and repent. And sometimes they won't do that. But that's okay. You, can't, you cannot make anyone forgive you. All you can do is what God's called you to do, which is to try to make it right. And then after that, you leave it all up to Him because He will deal with it all in the end. Amen? And so He'll settle it all at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't have to go and fix everybody's problems. If you see someone else in sin and, and doing wrong and you're, you have a burden for them, you love them, you just tell them. You warn them, right? What's it say in Second Thessalonians or First Thessalonians five? Warn the unruly. Tell them that, hey, I love you. I see the path you're going on, and, and man, I, I just know that the end of this path isn't going to be good for you. All, that's all you can do, right? You cannot force anybody to do anything. All you can do is what God's called you to do, which is to warn them and do your part and love them and pray for them. But then at the end, you just leave it all up to God. You don't need to be your brother's judge. It does not say to go be judged or an executioner to them. It just says to warn them. That's, that's our role, right? Admonish. And then leave, let God be the judge. Verse 11 of Romans four, or verse 10 of Romans 14 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You don't have to get hung up 
on what somebody else is dealing with and their and their sin and their and their life. And sometimes we get that way and we're like, I can't believe they're doing this and they're doing this and are not doing this. And we get hung up on on what somebody else is doing or not doing for God. But really, that's not our place. We're not called to judge them. All we're called to do is to help them where we can and where they'll let us, and then let God deal with that. And they will one day bow before God. They might not be bowing right now. And that's maybe what's get, what gets our blood boiling sometimes. It's like, listen, you're not, you're not living for God. You're not doing what God's called you to do. But they will one day bow. It would sure be nice if they bowed today, right? All of us will bow before God. All of us will recognize His way as best. All of us will one day recognize that He is Lord, right? We sang about it at, uh, last week with the Patch and Choir song, which was a blessing. And, and one day we will all bow before God, uh, but it's not going to happen right now necessarily for everybody. So we just leave that up to God. And we, and we, and we focus on ourselves bowing now. And so that when we get to that day, we'll bow because we want to and not because we've been forced to at that day. So we will all stand before the judgment of Christ. The next one is this, avoid causing others to stumble. And we won't spend a lot of time here, um, but, but there's, there's, um, there was this conflict in the church at Rome we said there are differences in, in any church, and in Rome there was a very stark difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews had certain uh, cultures and things that, that they had done and grown up with doing. The Gentiles had, had certain cultures that they grew up with and, and were used to, and, and those differences caused some conflict in the church. And what Paul was, was telling them to do is this, is we, ought, we just need to do what we can to to follow after peace. If it's not something that's clearly laid out in Scripture, then what we just need to do is serve our brother that way and, and be willing to put our liberty uh, aside. God has given us liberty in Christ. Um, you know, the Gentile believers, uh, they, they uh, struggled. They struggled with this meat offered to idols because they grew up as pagans and they grew up offering meat to idols, right? And they grew up eating the meat that was offered to these false gods and believing as they ate this meat offered to false gods that they were participating in the worship of this false god. They grew up that way. And so as they, after they got saved, the Jews in that church are like, those false gods are false. They're fake. There's only one God. And the, and the Jews grew up believing this. And the Jews knew that there was one God. Now they hadn't quite... At, at, at the first accepted Christ as Messiah, and eventually they did, and the church members in this church did at one point recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God who came to earth. But they did; they never struggled with the fact that these Roman pagan gods were real. And so the Jews would go and buy the meat offered to idols, knowing that means nothing, right? They're offering it to nobody. It doesn't mean anything, and they're getting meat for cheaper. That's all they thought of. Like, hey, let's go buy this meat that's left over. No big deal. Those gods aren't real anyway. But the problem is, as they were doing that in front of the Gentiles, the Gentiles who struggled in that, with that past were wondering, okay, well, is it then wrong or right for me to be involved with worshiping these false gods? You see? And so the Jews had to put down their liberty and, and serve their brothers and edify them by just saying, you know what, I'm not going to put this temptation in front of my brothers. 
that struggle, right? And yeah, maybe they were able to eat of the meat, but they needed to put that aside. Why? For the sake of their brothers, to help edify their brothers, because their desire was to help build up their brothers. Yeah. And honestly, if they were just to ignore the struggles of their their church family, then Paul said they actually were living in sin. In 1 Corinthians 8, we won't go there. Um, but if they if they intentionally became a stumbling block to their brothers, then they, maybe what they're doing, maybe eating the meat itself wasn't sinful, but for them to have no uh, desire to help and, and, and knowingly put their brothers in a hard place where they will stumble, then they are sinning, you see? Because they're not loving and they're not edifying each other the way that God has called them to. And so we ought to live peaceably. The next one is to build strongly. Build strongly, that's the blank. Again, we need to um, take um, we need to take conflict seriously, and we need to deal, deal with those things. But we also need to to edify and build each other up, and and not just uh, avoid conflict, but also just to help each other follow God and do what God's called us to do that way. And um, and then and then we get to number two, the priority of edification. We need to make it a priority in our life. And the way that looks is to live without offense. Again, just kind of following that same line, doing what we can to, to be a blessing and to not to not cause our brothers to stumble. And then the second one, live with faith. Live without offense, live with faith. And and you know, that doesn't mean we have to decide that eating that meat is sinful. No, we don't have to decide that, but we do have to be willing to put those things aside and follow God. And if we are struggling with that, and if our conscience is is at us about that, then we need to follow what God says and live a life of faith. Okay. Now we get to number three, the perfection of edification. Number three, the perfection of edification. When we speak of the perfection of edification, we do not mean that we are perfect people. Um, it says here, uh, where does it say the perfection? We'll get to that here in a moment. But when, when in the Bible, when it says perfect, it doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean you've never done anything wrong. What it means is mature or complete. Mature or complete. That's what perfection means. In Ephesians 4, 11-13, it's here in our notes. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God give leadership to the church? Well, for these reasons. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come together all come in the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so as we edify one another, uh, what, we're, what we're helping to do to each other is perfect one another. And that doesn't mean to make each other sinless and without error, but it does mean to mature one another and to help complete one another. And so how does that look? Well, number one under there, or letter A, is the teachers of edification. The teachers of edification. I notice again there in our notes, Ephesians 4.11, it says that God gave specific roles and offices to the church. And the reason God gave certain <coughs> leadership in a church body is not because they're more important or they they have a higher standing before God. There's, it's not like there's the, the clergy and I have a special 
walk with God that you can never have, and you are just the congregation, and you just got to trust me. That's not it at all. I have no special relationship with God in that sense, but, but I am called to God, by God in this role of leadership, and the reason that God has placed leadership in the church is to help believers grow. Now, the, in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, he lists some. He listed apostles and prophets. Those were temporary. Those had their place. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. They were that, those 12 that, that, that Jesus specifically named apostles, and they were given a specific authority to give us the New Testament. That's what the apostles did, and Paul being one of them, given a special authority from God to actually teach us and give us a revelation from God in the New Testament. Prophets, obviously, uh, were given messages from God. And, and again, these, these were the gifts that gave us our, word, our Bible. And now we have the completed Bible, and we no longer have a need for the office of an apostle. We no, no longer have the need for an office of a prophet. Uh, we now have the completed Word of God. God does not give anybody special revelation anymore. He always works through His Word, and the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to their life that way. And so those, those offices are no longer necessary. But some of those roles that were given to the church are still in effect today. It's the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Acts 20.28 20, is right here in our notes. Uh, Paul said this to them, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to the flock. These are the pastors of the churches in Ephesus over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so a pastor then is, I don't have special revelation from God. God doesn't speak to me and say, okay, God told me this, and now I'll tell you this, and you just believe me because I'm the man of God. You don't question. You just take what I said, because I'm the man of God, and God gave me a message, and I'll tell you his message. No, not at all. My job is to proclaim the written word of God and to study to show myself approved and to declare the word of God to you. And I, and I, all that I, um, everything I'm saying only matters so far as it comes from the word of God. Amen. And so God has told me to feed the church of God and feed the church of God what he has already given us, which is his word. And so that's what I do. I feed the church of God. That way also I'm a teacher of the flock, it says there. And so then Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so the Bible also says that as a pastor, my job is to feed and give you the Word of God and help you learn what the Word of God has already said. But also, I, I, I'm the one in the end that will have to give an account to God for the decisions made in this church, right? And so that's, that's what Brother Park was explaining on, on Tuesday night, that, that uh, there's a special amount of pressure in a sense where the, the decisions that, that, that are made in this church and the direction that this church makes, I will be the one that gives an answer for that, right? And so I'm, I'm, I, I need your guys's, your guys's counsel and help and, and your thoughts on things, but in the end, the final decision is mine. I have, I have to, I have to answer for that. It's just like in a home, right? Where God has made the father, the, the leader, the head of the home, and the wife under her and, and under him, and then the children under, under them. Well, what does that mean is this, is that the man of the house, he is the one that will answer to God for the direction of that home. 
The buck stops with them. It's like, a, it's like the CEO of a company. Or, or actually, Brother Park was telling me about his son who is, who is mowing lawns, right? He's 16. And he's like, Dad, can I go mow lawns? And nobody wants to work anymore. And so it didn't take that, he didn't take him very long to get a pretty good amount of, of lawns that, that he has, uh, that he's able to mow. And he can't take on any more lawns. You know, and so he doesn't advertise or anything. And I said, Brother Park, what he needs to do is go hire another one and, and have this lawn mowing franchise. And Brother Park said, well, actually, he tried that. And he found a 14-year-old uh, on, on the, in the street that said, hey, you can help me, and, and you can go mow that lawn, and then you know, we can work together, and we can really grow this thing. But he said, that, that 14-year-old is just unreliable. <laughs> you know, it's unreliable. He won't do what he said he was going to do. And you know, here's what he said. Here's wisdom of 16-year-old. He said, when that guy doesn't go mow that guy's lawn, he's not the one who gets yelled at. I'm the one who gets yelled at, right? Because that's how it works. The leader is the one that has to give an answer, right? And so God is called uh, and is intended for that to be the pastor of the church. And, he, and I will give an answer to God uh, for what happens in this church. And so there's, there's that. There's the, the teachers of edification. And part of my job, again, is to help help the church family to learn to edify one another as part of the, my job here. The next is this, the testimony of edification. The testimony of edification. When we're growing in our Christian walk, following our God-given leaders and encouraging others, there will be a clear proof of our testimony. Ephesians 4.12 tells us that we're not alone in our growth and maturity. Other spiritual Christians have a role in perfecting us or helping us to bring us to maturity. It's not just the pastor's and the leadership's role. It's not just Brother Tim and Brother Mike and Mike's job to, to help each other and encourage the church family. No, actually our job is to help train the church family to edify each other, right? That's the, that's the goal, is that we would all be taking place in this process of edifying and building each other up for the perfecting of the saints. Um, Verse Thessalonians 3.10, Paul, here, here is his heart for that church in Thessalonica. He said, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul saw that church family. He loved that church family. And Paul wanted to do everything he could to help perfect what was missing in their faith. And that ought to be the heart we have for our church family is to help perfect what is missing in each other's faith. What, 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 what is lacking, we help to build up. Christians are, who are spiritual should be helping to bring others to spiritual maturity. We want to mature, then, in our Christian walk, not only for ourselves, but also so that we can be involved in the work of the ministry, right? We want to grow so we can be closer to God. We want to mature in our faith and learn uh, what the Word of God says, and, and learn to trust God more and more every day, and, and, and serve God more and more every day. Why? Well, because we, wanted, we want that closeness with our God, but also that puts us in a position then to help others to grow closer to God. You see? That's the goal. That's the goal. Ephesians 4.12 gives the reason for the work of the ministry, and it's for this, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And again, that word edify, we said it, uh, it means to build up a house or building on a foundation. And so what the church's greatest building project that we'll have, and we have little projects here and there, we've done some renovations here and there, 
uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to get a sidewalk here in the next month or two. And we have these building projects that we have physically, but really the most important building projects that we're involved with, and it's a constant building project, is building the lives of each other, building the lives of Christians, helping edify, helping build up where our faith is lacking. And again, that's not only the job of the pastor, but a responsibility that every Christian should take part in. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, it's again right here in our notes. Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. The members of that church at Corinth were trying to uh, get everyone to look at them. They wanted to be teachers. They wanted to speak in tongues. They wanted to, to be in front of people and, 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 and have that uh, testimony for themselves. But Paul says, really, what you need to do is stop trying to build yourself up and be zealous and learn to excel in edifying and building each other up. That's, that's what the church family is called to do. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no com- corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Hey, a big part of this thing, a big part of edifying one another is our words, is what we say. And our, our tongue, James says, is like a fire and it can spread. And, he, and James talks about a, a ship who ha, has that little a rudder, and they call it the tongue. And that little de- device at the end of a huge ship, it, it moves a little bit and it changes the whole direction of that ship, right? And James says then you put a, a bit in a horse's mouth and you press on that, that huge animal's tongue and you push just a, just put a little bit of pressure on his tongue and that tongue will cause that entire animal to move, Right? Our tongues are powerful, and the words we say have a big impact on the direction of our church and on the direction of those we're talking to. And our tongues can be used to tear each other down in in a powerful way and really hurt one another, Uh, but they also can be used in a very powerful way for the use of edifying and ministering grace. So, So our tongues and the words we say and the tone we use and the way we speak to each other is a very is a very big deal. We ought to we ought to think of it that way. And as we minister grace to each other and as we edify one another, what we're doing is we're contributing to the unity of our church and the ability of our church to reach the world. Just imagine the great things we could accomplish as a church family if we would all follow our director the Lord Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, there's a preacher who went to the Champness Hall in Yorkshire, England to hear the noted cellist and conductor, Sir John Barbaroli. Did I get that right, Brother Eric? you know who that is? No idea. Well, he is noted, okay, and he's a cellist, and he's awesome, okay. And he led a symphony there, and a friend sitting there nearby looked out at the vast crowd in that great hall, and he asked the preacher, when will we see the Champness Hall filled to capacity for a Christian service. He's like, this huge auditorium, they're all here to, to watch this orchestra, but when are we going to fill this place up for church? One of the church members asked the preacher that. And the pastor pointed to the members of the orchestra playing on the stage, and he said this, when we see 80 men willing to give absolute obe- obedience to the will of Christ, as these men give to Barbaroli. And there's this one conductor who was, who was controlling 80 men, 80 talented, you know, if you're in an orchestra of this size, you're a good trumpet player or, 
or cellist or whatever it is. And, and this one man is, is controlling these 80 men to a T. And they're all doing exactly what that director said. And when they all did that, they all harmonized, and they all put their talents to use perfectly. And when they did that, it was beautiful. And people wanted to come see. And the preacher said, we'll, we'll be able to fill this place like this when we have 80 men who are willing to obey Christ this way that to use their talents, use their abilities, and humble themselves and obey Christ perfectly, our conductor, our director, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, our differences will be there, but they'll harmonize, and, and something beautiful will take place. And I'm telling you, whenever a church is in unity, whenever a church is, is edifying one another, whenever a church is serving one another, whenever a church is putting down their own desires and wants and liberty even for the sake of each other, People notice, and our, our town will notice that, and, and our testimony will be what it needs to be. And so the perfection of edification is the maturity of the believer. A mature believer is one who, who puts aside his own um, desires and, and is ready to edify and build up each other. But we get our eye, when we, here's when, you're, when you know you're, you're, you're mature as a Christian. When you come to church, not just to be fed and built up, but you come to church ready to feed and build up each other, to edify. That ought to be our goal. It ought to be our passion. It ought to be our priority. So let us seek to be perfected in our faith so that we can then turn around and edify the body of Christ. And so the life of edification begins with living peaceably. Are your relationships characterized by peace? Are you living without offense toward others so that you can edify others in your life? Are you following after peace? Are you passionate about edification? When you come to church, what's the first thought on your mind? Is it, man, I sure hope someone comes and helps me? Or is it, man, I sure hope I can help somebody today? This is the difference. This is the difference. And again, you know, wanting to grow is a good step. And there are a lot of people out there that, like Jesus, when he looked upon the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion because he saw men who were like sheep with no shepherd, just wandering and floating through life. They don't even know about their eternity you know, that's in danger. They don't even know that they're living a life that's destruction that's destructive and they don't even know the path that they're on. They don't really even care. And so so from to go from that to being concerned about your spiritual life to wanting to come to church so that you can grow, that's a big and important step. But we all need to take another step that says, I'm not just coming to be helped. I'm not just coming to be served, but I'm coming to help my church family. I'm coming to encourage my church family. And I'm current coming to edify and build up so that we can be in unity, so that we can serve our God and, and accomplish what He wants us to as a church. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for loving us. Thank You for our church family. And thank You, God, for the great spirit that's here. Thank You, Lord, that over and over again as a pastor, I, I receive compliments of our church family, that they're friendly and they're loving and they're welcoming and and they just want to serve. And I'm so thankful and humbled by that. But God, we, 
there will never as a church come to a place where we've arrived or we're exactly what you want us to be. So help us to continue, Lord, to, to make this a passion of ours, to help each other, to serve one another, and to watch what you'll do here in Falls City through Valley Avenue Baptist Church. We love you. Christ in my pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.